Hey everyone, this is Aaron. I will be taking a vacation, at least from podcasting for a while. I hope you enjoy these rebroadcast episodes from our Hall of Fame archives. Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jake Van Aaron, your source for expert advice on Lean, Six Sigma, and performance improvement methods. In this episode number 12, part 2 of 4, we unwrap the mystery of choosing project metrics. We uncover the hidden waste within common business metrics from yield to defects and the challenges with introducing more accurate Six Sigma metrics within our businesses. Here we go. Hey, Jacob. How you doing? Hey, Dan. How are you? Jacob, I am doing well. Today we're going to go into our second episode regarding project metrics, and we're going to specify or we're going to focus on yield and defects. So uh, in this Measure the Right Stuff series, uh, we're kind of going to challenge some of the more common business metrics that are out there. Uh, for instance, first pass yield and uh, overall defective rate, and uh, talk about how these, um, you know, how there's quite a bit of hidden waste and and hidden, um, you know, hidden factory uh, that these metrics just don't seem to uh, reflect. Just want to give everybody a heads up that you know some of the discussion that we're having today is going to be using an example or two, and some of that's a little bit of math related on how the process is, all counts and stuff. So if you find it hard listening to us, you know, there's all these show notes. Please pull that up for this episode. I think it'll be handy if you have that handy with you. I think it'll be better for you to go through this episode. And the show notes, yeah, they have some math, they have uh, some uh, diagrams, some uh, illustrations that help show the points that we're about to present. So let's start off. First pass yield. First pass yield versus rolled throughput yield. All right, so what is first pass yield? Well, most commonly, it's it's actually one of the most common business metrics, and it's as simple as um, the number of parts that you uh, plan on making minus the number that fall out as defective, divided by those same number of parts that you planned on making, and, you know, times 100%. That is essentially what most plants consider their yield, plant yields. What you started with, what you ended with, uh, divided by what you started with. Yeah, so, you know, you can think of this as anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be a manufacturing event for you know, any other assembly operation or if you're an invoicing company, how many invoices did you start with? How many invoices did you complete? Uh, versus how many had to stay back for some reason or the other as an incomplete one. Right, right. And it's just trying to get to say, this is what I started with. This is what I ended with. What is my yield rate? Right. So, for instance, you know, if you started with 100 and five of them were bad and you ended with 95, you basically have a 95% yield. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the short form FPY, uh, you know, that's typically what a lot of manufacturing companies use. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like you said, I think it's, it can be first pass yield. It, some people call it final test yield or, you know, there's different acronyms or different ways they explain it. But all in the end of the day, I think what it's trying to say is what did you yield for the overall process? Right. And so another, another way of looking at it is uh, so first pass yield is generally encompassing um, – you know, an entire process from beginning to end. I started with this, you know, at, uh, at when I first started making my um, my product or, or started my business process. And at the end of the business process or production process, just before you bring it to the customer, it pretty much encompasses the whole value stream uh, First Pass Shield does. And then there's the next step, which breaks it down into individual process steps, 
called in-process yield, and essentially this is a first-pass yield on an individual process step. So what you're saying is, say, for example, if this is uh, a manufacturing, you know, let's say a, a plastics manufacturing part, mm-hmm. so at, you buy a whole bunch of, you buy enough plastic expecting you make 100 parts, and then the first step is probably molding that part into the shape you want it. Right. At, at the end of the molding, because of some defect, now you have only 99 parts. Mm-hmm. You wanted to get 100 with the material you had, but you ended up only with 99 and so the process, in-process yield for the molding is 99%. Yep, just for the molding. And now you only have, you know, at that point, you only have 99 parts to go into, um, you know. The next the, step. The next step, which is like degating or, or, or maybe let's a say, paint step. Yeah, let's say the next step is painting. And typically, um, say you, you, you know, you, you paint the wrong color or you overpaint it or underpaint it, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you end up, with only 95 coming out of it. So the in-process yield for the painting step is 95 parts divided by 99, right? which is going to be somewhere around 94% or 95%. Right, right. And that actually rolls uh, quite nicely into um, what's the rolled throughput yield. And I got to say, this is not so common. This isn't something that I've uh, learned before I was you know, taught in the Six Sigma methodology. And... Um, so you, I, I almost never see this as a business metric. Uh, how about you? I, I've never seen it used. I mean, I can see the value of it. So let's maybe talk about what the roll throughput yield is. So, sure. So the roll throughput yield, you know, if you're building off the example from previously is, hey, my molding had a percentage of 99%. My painting had a percentage of 95%. So ideally, if you were looking at just first pass yield, you would have said, you know, I started with 100 parts. After painting, I got 95. So my yield is 95% for this process. Mm-hmm. What roll throughput yield is saying is, technically, no. You only had a 99% yield in your molding step, and you only had a 95% yield in your painting step. So your overall throughput that's coming out of your process is a, multiple, is a factor of 99% times 95%, which I have to do the math now. <laughs> Which I think is going to be ninety four something. Right. So I mean, uh, in that in that instance, it's it's really not much of a not much of a big difference, especially because you're near you're near a hundred percent. You're not yeah. going to see as big of a difference between a first pass yield and a rolled throughput yield. Um, and essentially, one of the, one of the issues that I think people have with this, not accustomed to you know multiplying in process yield, and you just don't understand you know where that comes from and. Um, as I teach this, I like to teach it as the the probability that a part or transaction can move all the way from beginning to end without any kind of error. Exactly. And I think the challenge that I've seen, uh, you know, going with this more is people don't think of a step or a a particular part going through the system as a once you know one eventual result coming as a product. Mm-hmm. Because most of the companies are siloed, right? So right. You, know, you have the you have the molding department, you have the the painting department, you have the assembly department, you have the packaging department. Right. Nobody, you know, and everybody's siloed, and everybody worries about what how is their team doing, or what you know. This is what I was dealt. This is what I came up with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody really there's not enough emphasis placed on 
how is a part flowing from end to end. Right. And I, I have an example of a, a lean project I had done in, in a, um, you know, this, this process was a uh, making of stencils. And it started from the design business process in communicating with the customer all the way through the manufacturing of a finished piece at the end. And if, if you do like an in-process uh, check of, of yields, you know, even starting at the interaction with the customer, there's, there was so much rework in the design step. Um, you know, had, done, had gone through this math and done the roll throughput yield uh, after the whole value stream. And I said, well, you know, you guys are operating at about a 25% yield rate. And you should have seen all the, you know, jaws drop and nobody believed it. And, and I basically just got dismissed at that point. Yeah, you know, you probably will get considered that, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. That's really not reality. But And, and I think that comes stems from the fact that people just don't think of it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, they all see, hey, I started with 100 stencils. I came up with 45 so my yield should be 45, not 25, Aaron, like what you're saying. Right, and they completely but, ignored all of the, the waste and the rework that takes place, you know, before a part is even made. Um, because why? Because we don't have a physical piece to talk about? Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, how you framed it is, is probably the right way. I think you're, the question is, when you say a roll throughput yield or the overall yield of the process, you're trying to say, if I started with 100, what is the chance of any one of them going through the system or going through all these processes without failing? Or how many of these parts will go through these processes without failing at any step? Without having at least one defect in that whole process. That's exactly right. Yep. You know, and uh, when I first was taught Six Sigma, I was, I was working at the aerospace company, and uh, they challenged us by saying, you know, we made, we made jet engines. They challenged us by saying, how many, you know, what is your yield for jet engines. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know. So I took a guess. I'm like, yeah, maybe 60%, you know. He's like, nope. But I don't know. He's like, 0%. Like, what? <laughs> 0%. And, it, and, and it's uh, that's because there's there's literally thousands of parts on there. So essentially every single jet engine has a piece that has been reworked or or waived on a deviation it did not meet the initial uh, specifications and i mean and i'm talking it could just be a as simple as a stainless steel tube you know that that may be a little off angle but still fits so anything that simple would be counted as a defect and um so as you look at the entire assembly anything that simple would make quote unquote that jet engine defective However, fully functional. I think you're going to stop a lot of people from flying. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So it's not that big, people. It's not that bad as it sounds. But I think, I think the fact is, you know, nothing can, you know, you need to be conscious on what your number is trying to say and what people take out of it. And, and just, just, just uh, let me, you know, little CYA, uh, just exactly what what you said it's not that bad we're talking you know the specifications on these are well are well below uh, any kind of real failure point and they these things anything that gets waived goes through all kinds of steps of approvals and uh, there's there's 
plenty of wiggle room for any risk, and these aren't these aren't things that are critical to safety. They are things that might might um, affect the life of a certain part, and just means you know higher maintenance, change out times. But that's it. I'm not talking about waiving safety uh, issues. So. Yeah, I mean, but you know, on the flip side, if you look at the if you look at you know all those you know you, everybody's hearing about the Boeing 787s now having battery issues. Mm-hmm. The fact that you know when they do when they probably did not look at it from end to end when they look at it just individual processes they probably were fine. It's just that when you look at it, the chance of anyone failing because of all these factors together just happened to maybe higher. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get some. We'll 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 uh, see what kind of comments we get on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to hear because I'm actually not following that much, but I I do know that there are some. You know whether it's a design issue or whether it's a, uh, a manufacturing uh, or, quality or, issue, or it's a not enough testing on our before it came out. You know mm-hmm. who knows what that is. Mm-hmm. So uh, just just real real quick, you know the uh, rolled throughput yield is approximated by multiplying the in process yields for all the process steps that are within the process. But more precisely, it's actually measured by uh, this. Beautiful equation, roll throughput yields equals E raised to the negative DPU. What is DPU? What is E? I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, I kind of have a clue, but I'm sure a lot of people are asking this question. Why do we make this complicated formula? Can't we uh, make it simple? All right. So, well, what is DPU? I mean, let's let's start off with some uh, some definitions here. Okay. All right. Let me let me ask this very simple question. There's two things that can be explained here or two critical things that people need to remember. One is a, a topic called defect, and what is a topic called defective. Now, when I say a defect, what I'm trying to say is it could be any individual component on a final part or a final piece or a final, you know, whatever that might be. Any individual part in that or a component in that is wrong. That makes the overall part defective okay so let's say i'm going to buy a car and i'm i go to the i go to the dealer and the dealer takes me and yeah i the first car he shows me has a big scratch on it is the am i going to buy it no chances are no no that car is defective Mm -hmm. the next one he takes me to that car is missing a tail lamp I'm not going to take that either. That car is also defective. Now, uh, the third car, I look at it, everything looks great. It's the color I want, everything I want. I go and buy it. Mm-hmm. Now, this car, you know, so the de- what's the dealer going to do? He's going to take these two cars and send it back to the mechanic and say, fix these cars. Right. What's the first, you know, these cars are defective, fix it. What's the first thing the mechanic's going to ask? What's the defect? What's wrong with it? Right. So what, you know, this car has 50,000 parts in it. Which in this do you want me to fix? Right. And that individual defect that needs to be fixed, that's what's considered as a defect. So in other words, the first car had a scratch. That's the defect on that car. Mm -hmm. The second car had a tail lamp missing. That's the defect on that car. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's kind of... Overall, that no matter what was wrong, overall, those cars were defective. Whether it was one thing wrong or 500 things wrong on that car. 
that car was still defective. So that was, you know, if there's 500 things wrong with that car, that is still, you know, by by measures of good versus bad cars, it's only one defective car. It's only one bad car. Right, okay. But if I'm looking at it from a defect perfect defect point, there is 500 things that were wrong with that car. Okay, okay. So there there will always be more or equal number of defects uh, compared to defective. Compared to defective. Okay. And the, and the way I look at that is, you know, and I know in, in the literature it, it uses the term defective as a noun, like a defective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but defective is really an adjective. So um, in order for me not to mix up defect and defective, I follow defective with a noun, like defective part, defective piece. That way I know it's, you know, we're talking about a, a whole assembly of things and a piece, and it's not a defect itself. Yeah, you know, I mean, if I allude to the example which we were talking about in our previous episode, ordering the pizza. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, whether I had pepperoni or anchovies, when I ordered for pepperoni and I got anchovies, but it had everything else right on it, that order for me was defective. Right. But if that order was thin crust when I, you know, say if I, when I ordered, I wanted the thick crust and I wanted extra cheese and I wanted pepperoni and I ended up getting thin crust. Uh, I got no cheese and I got anchovies. Mm-hmm. If I ever get that pizza, not eating it. But, <laughs> but that is three defects from that one defective pizza. So that brings us to, uh, um, you know, sort of the next one. So there's defects per unit, which is kind of a better uh, metric all around, as in more accurate. Um, so in that pizza scenario, scenario, what is your DPU, i.e. defects per unit? So I had three defects. Mm-hmm. I had one unit. So three divided by one, that's three. Right. Okay. So you had three defects on that one pizza. Yeah. So say, for example, now over time, somebody was actually spending time collecting all the information that was wrong. And they took, an, they took a sample of 10 pizzas uh, or 10 wrong pizzas, let's say. Or maybe it's actually, no, it's a random sample of 10 pizzas. They found overall there were 28 defects between those 10 pizzas. The DPU for that would be 28 divided by 10 pizzas because you had total 28 defects. You had 10 pizzas that you were individual units that you considered. 28 by 10, your DPU is 2.8. Right, right. Okay. That's kind of how you should look at that. Mm-hmm. All right. So now that we know what the DPU is, let's go back to uh, our first pass yield versus roll throughput yield discussion. Okay. So um, as we mentioned, a roll throughput yield is the probability of making it all the way through defect free, right? Yep. Um, and it, it, in my opinion, it really does tell the whole story that, you know, the first pass yield misses. I've had in my history where we reported, oh, first pass yield is 95%. Really look into the numbers. You really, we were really more around 70% because of a lot of rework in the process that was just being hidden. So the real throughput yields, it takes into account the rework and the hidden factory and not just scrap. And a lot of places just get caught in the, um, the idea that, if you can rework it or adjust it, there is no, you're not losing anything. There's no scrap, so you're not actually losing the product. But what that mentality sends to, tends to um, 
ignore is the, all the labor that goes in to reworking that material. Uh, for instance, it may have been easy in a chemical company. It may have been easy to mix. It only took an hour to mix, and that was easy. But it took eight hours to test. And every time we reworked that same batch, it was another eight hours to test. And that's where all the expense came from that was hidden in that entire rework process. Yeah, I mean, I see this. I see, you know, if I, if I take it to the regular world, I see this in development. Mm-hmm. Software development, technology development, anything you could talk about. Right. Uh, you get the Somebody writes a whole bunch of specs. The designer or the developer goes and codes it, comes back. And gives it to the person some or does some user testing, something's not right. Mm-hmm. So then they have to go back and recode it. And then, you know, they come back, do some more testing. They found another scenario, doesn't work. So now they have to go recode it again. At the end of the day, probably your yield is you started developing something, you ended up with the same thing. You ended up with the, uh, the result that you wanted, but right. you went through this loop of four or five iterations. Mm-hmm. And that's not being captured anywhere if you look at what is your completion rate or what is your succession rate. Right. And what what you're trying to say here is all that additional work that got done is not captured anywhere. It could be resources as an individual. It could be resources as an equipment, machinery. Some of the things you might be using are expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the raw material might still survive and you might not lose any of that. But the other components typically tend to get ignored. Right. So um, just a small recap. The roll throughput yield will always be less than or equal to the first pass yield metric. Have some examples in the show notes for um, that we kind of described. They're a little bit different examples. We have one example, which is uh, sheet metal fabrication. Uh, it's a process map that shows all kinds of in-process yields. Um, but I think I'm going to spare the audiences having us... Uh, talk through that example especially we kind of explained it with you know with the uh, plastic molding and the pizza so um but go ahead and go to the show notes on the website and you can walk through that example and see exactly how the math works and there's also a batch chemical manufacturing and rework example um which it goes about the uh it goes about it a little bit differently but uh, go ahead and go to the website look at both those it's got diagrams and math and if you've got any questions feel free to email me yeah, email, you know, put it on the comment section, anywhere you guys feel. If something you don't agree with, please please reach out to us, and we'll be glad to maybe explain that even a little more clearer. Yeah, here's a challenge. We're, we're recording our 12th episode now and haven't had any comments. So be the first to comment on any one of our episodes. Nice. <laughs> you are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. This episode of the E6S Methods Podcast is brought to you by me. That's right. No one is paying me for these podcasts, not even you. So do me a favor. Go to my website and check it out. If you see something you like and you can use, buy it. If you don't see anything you like, then don't buy it. But do send me a message and let me know what you would buy if it were available. Go ahead and check us out at www.e6s-methods.com. Thanks a lot. Okay, um, so what are the challenges? We talked, we alluded to them a little bit, but what are the challenges of rolled throughput yield? First and foremost, a lot of people don't get it. What do you mean? I mean, don't get it. 
Not smart? Uh, no, I think they are all too smart. Uh, conceptually, everybody agrees, but when the numbers come to the face or mm-hmm. when the numbers show up, they just are not willing to accept it. And I've literally shown and taught this to the same people a number of times, and you know they don't take it at face value that, trust me, this is better. They just look at me squarely and say, I still don't get what you're telling me. And it's, it, you know, how does E to the negative DPU, isn't it as simple as in minus out minus in? What is this E to the negative DPU you're trying to get me to swallow here? I don't buy it. There's some fuzzy hidden math and uh, and I don't trust it. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's for the non-statistical savvy people, which uh, brings a lot of us. I mean, I, I don't even call it the statistics. I call it actually math. You know, advanced <laughs> math. Right, right. Folks, you know, a lot of people have not utilized any of all these log tables or any of those things to get to these kind of discussions. And scientific research has proved that this is equivalent to that. Right. I can, but I mean, just practically, I can count in minus out. Yep. I cannot count in e to the negative DPU. I need a computer or a math quiz to do that for me. You know, if I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't feel it, why am I going to believe it? And so I think that's part of why it's uh, you know difficult to swallow for those who um, you know haven't, for lack of a better term, drank the Kool Aid like myself. They haven't accepted you know the uh, the proof in the way that I've accepted it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I see that, and I think the harder part is you know which I alluded to earlier. Nobody really looks at things from end to end perspective. They're Maybe. all worried, they're all worried about their individual departments. Okay. You know, so, hey, the process yield for molding is this much. The process yield for painting is this much. The process yield for assembly is this much. Every, you know, so you all have supervisors that probably manage this section or team leads that manage this section. That's the metrics that they are being driven on. That's the metrics they're given. There is very few companies that probably take the operations manager or the, the manufacturing manager and holds them to a goal saying, I want the overall yield percent to be at 90% or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. You know, they probably say, you know, we focus mainly on molding or we focus mainly on assembly. So let's make that our perfect scenario. Right, right. And I think that's, you know, it's just the fact that there is nobody looking at that overall vision that prevents people from thinking in that direction. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, how many companies can you think, or how many, forget even companies, how many teams have you even seen having that sort of a metric for the highest level leader? Um, I, 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 had, I had one, um, but we were only talking about uh, in-process, yield, uh, in-process yields for two different processes, um, and, and it, was, uh, it was wafer cutting. So they, they measured yield at at the uh, the wire saw, and you were involved in this in this uh, project. Yep. Yep, yep, they yep. measured yield at the wire saw, and anything that you know was broken or didn't fit, they didn't send it through the clean line. But then everything was inspected after the clean cleaning station, and they did use they did have the proper use of um, you know multiplying those in process yields together as their final plant yield. But they ignored all the up stream processes which included uh cutting shaping and cropping of the ingot and also um the forging of the ingot as well 
Exactly. I was just going to say, you know, they were good at one section of it because they felt that was their core strength. Right. And the other was considered a different department again mm-hmm. or a completely different section of that organization. They decided, you know, that's not something you want to track or keep an eye out. For. Right. And they had the operations leader that looked at both these, you know, somebody who was leadership in the leadership team who looked at both those teams or was responsible for activities in both those teams. Mm-hmm. But even he was not, he or she was not held to that level. Right of I want you to make both of these within this particular right, you know, right. thing. I've had seen in cases where some departments aren't measured at all. Um, there oh. is no in-process defect recognition process to process, and they, in, and they wait until everything gets all the way to the end before they take out and identify any defects. Yeah, th- I mean, I think that happens as much as the other case also, mm-hmm. if not more. Mm-hmm. And again, not everything has to be processed, right? You can... Prob- you can a, a really good company probably does it for every step through the process also. Well, why would they do that? Uh, just so that they know where exactly they need to focus their attention on. And and what, and you don't want to throw good money after bad money. You don't want to continue to process something that's already defective. Exactly. you got to stop it, rework it, or stop it and scrap it, but don't add more value to something that's already va- valueless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of the model that Toyota works on, you know, if you if you read through the Toyota production system, I've actually had a couple of coworkers who actually went to the Toyota manufacturing facility to see their line. Yep. And, you know, they basically said every employee has the ability to shut the line down. Right. They have, they have cords hanging everywhere. If they see a defective and they have criterion defined, of course, that if you're seeing something like this, go ahead and pull the cords. We shut the line down and we fix the problem before we start pushing more of these down the line. Right. And that that is a good... That is a good empowerment practice uh, that I would encourage. And every every uh, shop and plant is the, the employee who sees it, notice something is off. Instead of just letting it run all day and finding out the next morning that you made a thousand bad parts, stop it then, fix it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, defects per unit, and I think it's just kind of a human nature. If we're at an inspection station. I'm not going to look for every single defect that's on that one unit. I'm going to stop at the first defect I see, and if I if I capture any data, I'm only going to capture it on that one defect. So, and most likely it'll be the most obvious defect, like a scratch or a dent. So I'll look at it, say, oh nope, that's dented. I'm going to put it down. I'm only going to you know classify it as a dented part, but could actually have three or four other defects on it. Yeah, I mean. So that's a great point you bring because that's also something that I've noticed a lot is, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the most obvious one also. I've actually seen where it's the first thing that I see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that car example, there might have been a bigger thing that was, you know, I, I just saw the front of the car with that scratch. There might have been a much bigger thing that might be missing the whole trunk for all I care. <laughs> but you know, that's the first thing I saw. So that's what I'm, that's why I'm calling it a defect. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it depends on the part size. You know, some of them are the most obvious ones you see first, but depending on, depending on how you're looking at it, where you're looking at it, you probably might classify the, you know, you could do anything you want. So, you know, bringing that to the next, to the next level, if, um, you know, say the defects, if not all defects are being counted in inspection scenario, say you do a project to attack a specific defect like scratches, right? And you you eliminate most of the scratches, but your yields don't change. Yep. And that could be because there are also 
other defects on those parts which make them still defective and that you um you know you just haven't addressed all the other defects yet okay so um we got some other defect measures that we want to talk about and that is the dppm versus the dpmo whoa big big words dppm is defective parts per million Mm mm-hmm and DPMO is defects per million opportunity. Hmm. So I think before we go anywhere, let's talk about what is this opportunity thing. Okay. Again, when we talked about the whole difference between defect and defective, we were kind of saying a part can have multiple defects on it. Hmm. Any, any area or any particular section in that part that I can make a mistake on, mm-hmm that's considered an opportunity to make a mistake. So anywhere where I have a chance to make a mistake, that's considered an opportunity. So say, for example, I'm ordering a pizza. I have an opportunity to make an error when I'm picking the wrong crust. I have an opportunity to make an error when the kind of sauce I want. I I have an opportunity to make, because I'm allowed only three toppings, I can make three errors on the toppings. Mm Um, and uh, what else is that on a pizza? That's about it, right? And maybe how I want to cut. Do I want to cut New York style or do I want to cut it the square style? Mm-hmm. So so that particular case had one opportunity for the crust type, one opportunity for the sauce type, one uh, three opportunities for the toppings, and one opportunity for how it get, got cut. So technically for that one pizza, there were six things that could go wrong with it. Okay. So there were six opportunities to make a mistake on that pizza. To make a to create a defect. To create a defect okay. on that pizza. So that so any any particular case where you have an ability to make a mistake, that's what's called an opportunity. So uh, why 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 measure opportunities? What is the benefit of that versus you know just a defects measure? So where the DPMO helps you the most is it kind of gets you to find that particular step. So say you had a particular step that has 10 opportunities to make a mistake and you're making only one mistake in there. Right. But there is another process where you have only two opportunities to make a mistake and you're making both of them is commonly having an issue with that. Okay. You probably, the DPMO metric will kind of give you a clarity on where should you focus your efforts mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Because the higher the DPMO, that's where you want to put your effort. So like, uh, say for example, in the in the pizza um, part, you talked you talked about the uh, you know the the crust, the sauce, the toppings, um, but there's also the there's also yeah. in the cutting there's also the packaging and delivery, which uh, you know if I think about it, um, there's maybe one opportunity you know say you got cheese on the top of the top of the lid right um, yep, yep, yep. because of poor delivery. I mean it's really only I don't know how many opportunities you'd call it call it one opportunity, but uh, you get uh, five defects as a result yep so that might be where i would concentrate um my efforts is on that delivery process because it's only one chance to make a mistake and but we're making that mistake um more than often far more often right that kind of helps you focus your attention kind of you know it's almost pinpointing where do you need to pay the most attention to because typically what you would have said done is hey that pizza uh, there's only five out of the hundred pieces I delivered had that issue. That's not our biggest issue. Somewhere else is the biggest mm-hmm. issue. But 
prioritizing where can you get your focus on first. One of the issues I have with DPMO is um, is defining what what in the world is an opportunity. You know how how and who how do you define what an opportunity is? Say I have you know a part with you know um, ten pieces of hardware um, inserted into it, and um, that part has three or four handoffs. You know what what constitutes an opportunity? Is it every time I put a piece of hardware in? Is it every time I hand it off? Um, and that's where I, I think um, the challenge comes in with the DPMO is I'm normalizing it by an opportunity, but who defines what the opportunity is? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've had that struggle. I, I found it much more easier in a transactional environment. Mm-hmm. Say when I'm placing an order, say when I'm doing an activity, it, it makes it much more easier. You know, I'm, I'm placing an online order on Amazon or Amazon's reading my order and trying to pick it and ship it to me. Mm-hmm. It's much more easier in that sort of a transactional environment or I'm processing invoices. I have four places where I can enter something incorrectly. You know, those kind of cases, it, it's pretty simple. So you're talking, I mean, you're talking is a, an opportunity for error every time you um, enter, you know, I have a uh, data entry field on a form? Yeah, something like that. You know, it's, it's much more easier to me- measure, or it's much more easier to, define those particular stages. So I've, I've seldom seen uh, DPMO used. The only time I've seen DPMO used is essentially it was when it was, yes, also transactional, but it appeared to be a forced metric Yep. for the purposes of showing, hey, this is what I learned in Six Sigma. So in my experience, for all practical purposes, um, uh, DPPM and DPMO, I have not found a particular use for those partly because almost every project I have dealt with, we're dealing with yields in the 80 to 90% uh, percent range. You know, where, you know, this DPMO is, you know, you're talking about 3.4 you know, uh, defects per million opportunities is a Six Sigma process. Most processes that I've gone in to fix have been in much more dire straits than that. And you're lucky if it's a Three Sigma process usually between a one and two sigma process. So there was no sense in measuring in parts per million because you're talking about, you know, 500,000 parts per million. Just call it 50% yeah. yield. Exactly. I think that's a reality. I mean, again, it depends on the process you're dealing with. I'm sure some of the listeners who are here might be dealing, you know, in the scenario of the jet engines mm-hmm. or pharmaceutical manufacturing and things of that sort. Yeah, you are not going to see anything in that you know, 90% or that's not even anywhere close to where you want to be. You want to be at 99.999% and that's the case when you start using DPM or DPM. Yeah, typically when you're getting into that level of uh, detail to achieve that 3.4 parts per million, there's probably some other place in your business that you should be focusing on because more than likely you're going to get diminishing returns by going to 99.99999%. I might tend to disagree on that, you know. You're probably right. There are other areas that you might have attention on. But if that's a case where most of your customers are complaining about Mm -hmm. that, hey, one out of a million parts of yours is not acceptable for me or, you know, five out of a million parts is not that defect rate is not acceptable for me, then you might actually work on trying to do something in there. Why? Because it's a customer? Is is that what you're saying? ah, If it's a pharmaceutical field, I mean, if. A client starts, or I wouldn't say client, a patient starts dying or a patient starts having adverse reaction or mm-hmm. 
something of that's going on, it's something you will have to figure out what's going on and why is this failing? Okay. Why is this effective? I mean, it depends on the scenario. I mean, I'm, I'm going to the extreme. I'm going to the extreme case, but you know, that is something you want to do it. I will yield to that. I'll agree to that. Yeah. But it, for all general purposes, let's just say you, if you have a process that level, you shouldn't be working. Like a, <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a final note on these domain projects, even though I just poo-pooed the DPMO, uh, the DPU and the DPMO do make better Demaic project metrics than the higher-level business metrics of defectives, right? Um, it's really talking about defects make a better project metric than defectives. And the reality of these is that the number of defects can be reduced without actually decreasing the count of defective parts. And uh, success may not even show an impact, you know, your project can still be successful and not show an impact on the business metrics because your defectives still have not gone down. Because that just means you got to go back, you got to address the other remaining defects that are there. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, You know, the one thing I will say, for those of you who recently attended Black Hole classes or recently been learning this, or there might be some pundits who are listening to this, you know, some folks say, DPMO or DPM or DPU are Six Sigma metrics and you should be using that. I'm in no way saying that they are not or that you shouldn't. It's just that for all practical purposes, the others might be more relevant for use. It's not that we were poo-pooing that. <laughs> <laughs> and also just to, you know, touch back, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of uh, roll throughput yield, roll throughput yield and, you know, measuring the DPU However, let's flip it around. Let's flip it around to politics. I'm also selling my project. And in order for me to sell, I need to speak the language of the person that I'm selling to. I cannot sell rolled throughput yield to somebody who refuses to acknowledge that there's any validity in that. So I might reframe my um, terminology into something else. Maybe I'll talk only about defects uh, or instead of rolled throughput yield, or I'll talk about... I've actually taken the rolled throughput yield metric and converted that into uh, hours that we are losing as a result of that situation because hours is something that they can um, measure and see and feel the pain because we talk about... Our, they, they have hourly wages on the mind all the time. This, this is... Uh, rather than show, this is the probability you're going to get a part out defect-free... I'll convert that down. These are the hours that you are, the excess hours that you are using in order to create uh, the demand that you have. And again, you know, I, I've seen you bring that up a couple of times mm-hmm. and I've seen the rolling eyes that you get. What are you talking about again? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like you pointed out. It's the audience, you know, figure out what they would prefer you to see or they not prefer you to see, prefer you to show them and make them understand. You got to know that. And that's, I think uh, Black Belt 101, where you always need to know who you're talking to and what they want to hear or how they want to hear some things. Not necessarily sugarcoat things, but give it into a format that they understand and they can make some actions. Right, right. Okay, so let's recap this episode. So this episode was mainly about, you know, finding some of those right metrics that we keep hearing about or keep referencing in the Six Sigma world. Uh, We started off with the first pass yield, which is, Basically, 
what did you start with? What did you end up with? And what is your, def what is your yield rate that's coming out of there? Uh, we talked a little bit about in-process yield. This is basically first-pass yield, but for each individual step within the process. Uh, otherwise known as in-process yield, where uh, what came out of what came into the step, what walked out of the step, what the yield for this particular stage. Roll throughput yield is what uh, both Aaron and I referenced a lot or talked about a little bit. This is where you're actually looking at each individual step of your process, finding the in-process yield for each of those steps, and multiplying them together to see what your final overall process, how, what is the chance of getting something through the system without failing. The other fun way to measure this is uh, how Aaron pointed out, is E raised to the negative DPU. For those of you who like to check it out, please test it and see if you get the same answer between multiplying all those steps and looking at that E raised to negative DPU math. Uh, we talked about this whole DPU, you know, what is a defect, what is a defective, kind of differentiated the two over there. Talked a little bit about what an opportunity is, uh, any chance, where any, any, any chance, I should say, that you have a thing to make a mistake, that's what's considered an opportunity. Any, a defect is each individual thing that's wrong with the part. A defective is the overall particular order or part that is wrong. Defective parts per million, defective parts per million opportunities. Again, it's more about measuring it in a different format, um, preferred by some of the Six Sigma pundits. Um, again, it's a good way to see if you have a process that's already in the four and a half, five, six sigma level. Otherwise, it's probably just easier looking at it from percentage. Right. Uh, that's basically it. I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed this, found this interesting. Uh, I'm sure most of you will have the similar, might have similar stories. If you have different stories, please feel free to share it with us because uh, it's a learning journey. That's how I see this. Absolutely. Journey through success. That's the, uh, the slogan I use on the... Uh... Uh, on this podcast and just to remind everybody I have a couple examples to go to the show notes and there's images and, and diagrams there one on sheet metal fabrication that shows the in-process yields and how that those in-process yields get multiplied together to create a rolled throughput yield and I also have an example for uh, batch chemical manufacturing which has kind of an uh, eternal rework loop and it shows how you can calculate rolled throughput yield uh, in that scenario as well. But you're really going to have to go to the show notes to get it. Please leave a comment. If you disagree with anything we said uh, about the DPM, uh, DPMO and DPPM or the use of roll throughput yield and whether or not these are, are good metrics for projects, um, share with us your experiences and uh, prove us wrong. All right. Anything else, Jacob? No, I think we're all square. All right. Thank you very much, Jacob. Have a good night. Right, have a good night. Thanks for listening to episode 12 of the E6S Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 13, part 3 of 4, Lag or Lead. We discuss the differences and examples of lagging versus leading metrics and which are best suited for projects. Don't forget to check out our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success.